Well, would you please turn with me to John chapter 3. We are in our series in John for the past three months. We have studied John's gospel. It is a gospel filled with wonderful and rich theological truths. It is all the gospels are filled with rich theological truths, but John's uniquely addresses theology and theological truths um, in a way that the other gospels do not. In, in the prologue, the first 18 verses of John's gospel, we learn in just the prologue, the, the eternal nature of God. We learn about creation. We learn about the incarnation. We learn about the sinfulness of man. We learn about the salvation of God in Christ. We learn about the ministry of John the Baptist. We learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We learn about the law of Moses. We learn about the grace of God. We learn so much in 18 verses. In fact, it, you could have John's gospel of 18 verses and still be well served. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. All these theological truths actually appear again and again and again throughout his gospel so that we might come to believe. That is, in John, John actually tells us his whole purpose in writing the gospel at the end of his gospel in 2031. He said, I write these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might find life in his name. That's why John wrote this gospel, so that we might come to believe. And in this passage that we're going to read this morning in chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, John again returns to the truths that we learned about in chapter 1. In chapter one and, I'll, and I'll go through those, but read along with me in verse 22 of chapter 3. Just... Remember where we've come from. Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene quietly, the wedding of Cana. He first sign, he turns water to wine. He enters Jerusalem for the Passover, cleanses the temple. Afterwards, he has this conversation with Nicodemus. These big events are going on. And then we come to here shortly after the Passover. After this... After the Passover, after the cleansing of the temple, after entering Jerusalem, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet, yet been put in prison. Understand, John, the, John is assuming... John, the, the evangelist who wrote this gospel, is assuming you've actually read the other gospels. Because in this gospel, we don't read about John the Baptist being put in prison. You learn about that in the other gospels. So John's kind of making a, hey, uh, you probably read the other gospels. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and a Jew over purification. And so they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Oh my goodness, we could have a whole message on that passage alone. 
You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Well, Father, we ask for your help this morning. Help us to behold your glory in your word. Help us to see Christ in your word. Help us to encounter Christ in your word. Help us to be inspired in our faith in your word. Lord, may your word invade every heart here this morning. And may each person listening, reading, participating, experience fresh faith and joy from you. Lord, please help me. Please help me. In Jesus' name, amen. I would encourage you, as you read this section, even this week, go back and as you've read this section, go back and find where John is, John the evangelist has written about these things in the prior chapters. Because you're going to discover, it's, it's like, oh, that, that fits in chapter one. Oh, oh, I see that in chapter two. Oh, yeah, oh, that's back in, in, the, in the prologue. And you're going to be able to connect because John's gospel is just not a book of stories, like short stories that you open up. There's a, there's a theme to it. It runs all the way through. And John's gospel is designed to help us come to a place where we have faith in Jesus Christ. And so he, again, in this passage, and really this, this passage, 22 through 36 of chapter 3, is a summary of all that John had said before. All that he had written from, from 1-1 through, through 3-21, this is, in a sense, a summary. You're, you're getting a repeat. John, and as you read John's gospel, you're going to see repetitiveness again and again and again. John's going to bring up the same theme. He's going to use the same words. Just, I mean, in this in this section alone, there's, there's a part about purification and water baptism. Well, you continually read about water and water baptism in the earlier passages. It's a theme in John. You read about light all through the Gospel of John. And so you're going to see that again in this passage. John reintroduces Jesus through John the Baptist's ministry again in this passage, as he did earlier in chapter 1. John the Baptist's entire mission was to bear witness that God has fulfilled his promise, his covenant promise, to send a Savior. And that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so John is telling the story 
of Jesus Christ. He uses a lot of different characters. He's got John the Baptist. He's got the disciples. He's got the Jews. He's got the, the Roman authorities. He, he has the, the Samaritans. He has the women. He, he's got different characters throughout who help us understand Jesus's mission. But, the, but all of this is about the Savior. That's what we're, we're studying this morning. And once again, we are listening to eyewitness testimony. Uh, this is, again, another theme in John about bearing witness. In verse 26, they came to him, they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. And then in verse 32, he bears witness to what we have seen and heard. That, that word witness in verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness. John is saying, look, this I'm witnessing to you about Jesus. I'm telling you, as in a courtroom, standing before and, and having given an oath, here is eyewitness testimony. Here is the truth about who Jesus is. In fact, in John's gospel, the word witness appears 27 times throughout John's gospel. And the purpose is so that you will listen to the testimony as though you were in a courtroom and that you will believe what you hear. You are not the juror trying to decide if this is true or not. This is true. This is just bearing witness about what is true. And so John the evangelist explains who John the Baptist is and why he came and tells us who Jesus is and why he came. That's what we read about in these first three chapters. And this passage reintroduces their ministries to us again so that we can understand what happens in the following chapters. And in the following chapters, it only gets more exciting. I mean, think about it. You've got water turning to wine. You've got the Word becoming flesh. You've got water turning into wine. You've got Jesus cleansing the temple and turning over the tables and, and driving not just the, the animals out. He's driving the people out of the temple. And now he's talking to Nicodemus. And I mean, just time and time again, he's, you see these signs. Nicodemus saying, I saw all these signs. What does it mean? What does it mean? And how now we, how we have this introduced to us all over again so that we end up in the same place that we began in John twenty thirty one. Listen, you're not going to get away from hearing about John twenty thirty one as long as we're in this gospel. Right? It is the Jaws music. Donut, donut. It's always in the background and the shark is coming. 2031 is happening. This is about coming to faith, believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we might find life in his name. That is John's gospel. And so when you read this, every story, every character, every event, keep that in mind. That's the banner over this. If we believe his testimony, we will find life in his name and bear witness with our lives that he is the Son of God. If we believe his testimony, we will find life in his name and bear witness with our lives 
that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. So this title, this message is the final witness of John the Baptist. Because after this, you're not going to read about John the Baptist again in John's gospel. This is, this is it. This is the end of, of John's involvement in the life of Jesus in this gospel. All right. Main points this morning. I need to go through this quickly. All right. Throughout John, John's gospel, he records these numerous witnesses who testify that Jesus is God. And, and this, is, this is what he is doing here. So my main points are actually three questions this morning for this passage. What does this passage say about Jesus? Number one, what does this passage say about Jesus? Because John, again, is witnessing. He's, John the evangelist is witnessing. He's testifying through his writing. And he's using John the Baptist to talk about the witness that John the Baptist had about Jesus. So what does this passage say about Jesus? Because this gospel is about Jesus. This gospel is not about us. Don't find yourself in the passage. Although we will look for what God is saying to us in the passage, this passage is about Jesus. What does this passage say about Jesus? Secondly, what does this passage say about us? And thirdly, what does this passage tell us we must do? Well, number one, what does this passage say about Jesus? It's simple. It tells us he is God. It tells us he is God. All three, John the Baptist, John the Evangelist who writes this gospel, and Jesus himself all bear witness to, to Jesus' deity. This is critical because in this, as you read through the first three chapters, there's uncertainty about who Jesus is. The temple authorities, when Jesus cleansed the temple, were saying, by what authority do you do this? Nicodemus comes to him, I know you do these signs, but kind of like, who are you? There's this wonderment. The Jews are... are are perplexed. Who is this Jesus? In verse 26, John writes, and they came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness. Well, what did John bear witness to? Do you remember in in John 1? Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This passage reminds us that Jesus is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In, in verse 28, he writes again, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John is very clear. He is not the Christ. In fact, so much so, in verse 30, he says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. That John, is, uh, John the Baptist is aware that Jesus is God, and he's eternal, and he's infinite, and he must increase. His name must be spread. His glory must invade the world. But John is human, and he says, look, I must decrease. In fact, he uh, alludes to that uh, a little bit later when um, he says, he says, he, verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who speaks of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in, earthly, in an earthly way. 
John's speaking about himself. I've come from the earth. I speak about, yes, in an earthly way, I, I, I'm, I'm limited. But Jesus is not limited. He increases. My humanity, there's a limitation on that. And in verse 31, the narration goes on because John, the evangelist, the writer, begins to narrate, says, he who comes from above is above all. That's who Jesus is. Jesus came from above. He is above all. In 32, John bears witness that what he has seen is from heaven. Look at verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. He is speaking of Jesus bearing witness to all that he's seen and heard in heaven. Who can do that but God alone? Verse 34, for whom God has sent. Well, right there, we, we understand that he is the incarnate one. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He sent Jesus. Verse for who for he whom God has sent. God sent his son. Jesus is the word became flesh. He speaks God's word. He has God's power. He's filled with God's spirit. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. This. Think about this. Look at verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. In verse 32, he bears witness, speaking of Jesus, to what he has seen and heard. Jesus descended from heaven. The words he speaks, he's speaking words from heaven. He is the Holy One who is given the Spirit without measure. Remember in John 1, when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, it says the Spirit came upon him and remained on him. That is being given the Spirit without measure. Throughout the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God being given for specific purposes at a specific time. But here, Jesus, who is God, is given the Spirit without measure. And so John, the evangelist, is writing here to tell us once again that Jesus is the Son of God, the Eternal One. Look in verse 35. The Father loves the Son. Here it is again. He is the Son of God. And he tells us that because he is God, he alone can give life. Because remember in John 1, we talked about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Life came through Jesus Christ. And here again in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So John's summary of this passage is, look, all that's been going on, the cleansing of the temple, the water and the wine, the, the time with Nicodemus, the calling of the disciples, all these things are all about this again. Jesus is God. 
Now understand that, that those who read this, one of, the, one of the things that we tell people when they either are unbelievers or first come to faith in Christ, one of the Bible verses or chapters or books that we tell them to read is the Gospel of John. Why is that? Why is that? Why, why not tell them to read Mark, Matthew, Luke? And they could, but we tell them to read John. Why? Because we want to introduce them to these ideas that Jesus is God. We want to introduce them to the Savior. So God is, God is speaking here to us in this passage, and he's reminding us through the evangelist John that Jesus is God. And that is an essential truth that John will never let go of. So that's what the passage says about Jesus. It simply says he is God. And it reminds you of all the things that came before. And I would encourage you when you're reading a, a passage like this, go back and, and make the, connect the dots so that you see this theme. Because as you connect the dots going back, it'll help you connect the dots going forward. Or secondly, what does this passage say about us? Well, this passage tells us that sin is still a problem. Sin is our problem. Look at verse 25. Now, a discussion rose between some of John's disciples and the Jew over purification. Now, you understand, they're, they're water baptizing. And so a Jew comes to them and he's questioning, you know, I, I don't quite get this. You, we, we purify ourselves every day with water. So what's this water baptism all about? And they came to John. And so they, they have this discussion. And in one verse, version, it says a dispute with this Jew about water baptism. And then all of a sudden, the, the focus shifts. And it says that, these, that John the Baptist's disciples go to John and say, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. They're jealous. John the Baptist had this amazing ministry. It said at one point, all of Jerusalem were going out to him to be water baptized. John chapter 1. All of Jerusalem were going out to him. And so he was basically, he was the popular guy. He was the guy that, that I mean, and if you were one of John's disciples, you kind of were cool because, you know, you're out there and you're helping John baptize and, and, and why they're still John's disciples and not Jesus' disciples, I'm not sure. But, but they're, they think this is a great gig. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene and now they're, they're jealous Look in verse, in verse uh, 26. Look, he is baptizing and all are going out to him. All were not going out to him. John's disciples were still baptizing. But they've exaggerated because they're jealous. They're envious. All are going out to him. Ministry is still going on. Both John, now Jesus was not doing any baptizing. In fact, in chapter 4, you'll read that it was Jesus' disciples who were baptizing, not Jesus, but they're baptizing. And they're attracting a crowd. And Jesus is doing something John doesn't do. He does signs. Not only is there water baptism going on, but things are happening. And I want to be a part of that. And so people are being drawn to Jesus. And they're, they're struggling. His disciples are struggling. But John the Baptist, he doesn't see it their way. Look at his response. John answered, 
If I, and and I, I wish I had been there because I think he probably would have said, get over it. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John's, John's correction here is, look, I'm only doing what God gave me to do. We can only do what God gives us to do. We're not God. We decrease. He increases. We're finite. He's infinite. We die. He's eternal. We only have what he's given us. And we want to use what he's given us well. But all we can do is do what he has given us. John is a man of great humility. In Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus calls John the greatest man born of women. What makes John great is not his witness, but his humility, which his disciples do not have. A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin, aged five, and Ryan, aged three. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw the opportunity for a lesson. If Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. (laughs) (coughs) Humility. Humility is what John had. And his disciples did not. John's disciples wanted glory for themselves. John wanted glory alone for Jesus. Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. John's disciples were not content with the things God had them doing. They were ministering quite nicely as God's servants, but that wasn't enough. They saw the success of others and were envious, which led to their complaining. And my question this morning, and I think what this passage wants to communicate to us is this. Where might you be envious? What if someone has a better job than you? What if somebody has the job that you want and you didn't get? A better house, a better car, more prominence, more recognition. We ask someone to sing up here, but we don't ask you. We ask someone to share their testimony and we don't ask you. Are you envious? Are you like these disciples? Are you jealous? John turns their attention to the Savior. He said, look, you've been given nothing but what comes from heaven. And in fact... What you've been given, eventually it's going to decrease. He needs to increase. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. You be Jesus. You give the pancake away, John is saying. John has a clear view of who Jesus is and who he is in relation to Jesus. Jesus is the one to be exalted, not me. That's why he must increase and I must decrease. John understands that everything he has in ministry has been given to him from God above. Brothers and sisters, we'll discover our greatest joy 
when we understand that all we have is from him and that it's not about our increase, it's about our decrease. It's about his glory, not our glory. Look at, look at how John responds. He says in verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John wasn't about himself and he wasn't about his ministry. He wasn't about attracting crowds. He was about attracting people to Jesus Christ. Think about back to chapter 1. He's got his two disciples. John is standing next to him and Andrew. He's got these two disciples. And they're his disciples. And they've been following him. And they've been water baptizing for him. And Jesus comes along. And what does John do? Watch out for him. No. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then what it says next is that those two disciples follow Jesus. John released. John gave. Who are we in this passage? Are we the envious? Are we the joyful? Do we envy what we see around others? Or do we rejoice in what God is doing in others? What does this passage tell us we must do? Number three. Well, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I, I find it interesting. John writes here, John the Evangelist writes here, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not and I thought the word be, be believe, but it's not the word there. It's obey. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. We obey his words because, look at verse 34, for whom God has sent, Jesus, utters the words of God. Jesus is speaking God's words. He's speaking words from heaven. Brothers and sisters, these are God's words. These are words from heaven. What a powerful passage inspiring us to be students of God's word. To be lovers of God's word. To know God's word. To hear God speaking to you through this passage. It's only by knowing God's words that you can obey. John understands that genuine belief, genuine faith in Christ, genuine Christianity must go beyond the words to how we live. John's words provide us with a clear application for how we are to believe. We are to obey Jesus' words because they are from heaven. And the consequences for not obeying are serious. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, if being here this morning and you are hearing these words, if you have not put your faith in Christ, if you have not trusted in Christ, these words are for you. If you do not obey the Son, you shall not see life. Brothers and sisters, for us who are believers 
we want to ensure that we obey because it does prove the genuineness of our faith. And for those of you who may not be believers, who have not put your trust in Christ, then this, the passage here is imploring you to come to faith, to believe so that you can obey, so that you will see life, so that the wrath of God will not remain upon you. So godly wrath is not human rage. It's thoughtful justice meted out by God. It is God's judgment upon those who reject him. In Romans 1, when God's wrath is poured out, when his judgment is poured out, in Romans 1, Paul writes, the wrath of God is being poured out. It's not this fire and brimstone and not anger. It is God allowing the people to go deeper into their sin. God is just stepping back further from people. That's horrible. That the sin that people are entrapped in, the sin that they're enslaved in, the sin that leads to not seeing life, but the wrath of God, that sin Experiencing God's wrath means God withdraws even further. And that is not what we want to have happen to you if you've not come to faith in Christ. We want you to experience what John experienced, joy. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. We want you to experience joy. Listen, our testimony as believers is the same as John's. Jesus has come offering eternal life to those of us who believe. So this, this summary passage this morning, it just asks a few questions of you. Are you obeying? Are, are you obeying? Are you envious? Do you understand that all you have has come from God? If you've not, if you're not assured that you have put your trust in Christ, please see me or one of the other men here who would be happy to explain to you the gospel. That you might come to faith in Christ. To explain to you that there is life in Christ. But there is death apart from Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your written word. Thank you that these are words from heaven. That when we read the Bible, you are speaking. They are not human words. They are inspired words by you. And that we can find life. We can experience life by hearing you speak to us. And I pray this morning that you would bring life to those in this room who need life. Those who are struggling to obey, Lord, would you please help them to obey. To those who are struggling with envy, you would help them overcome that sinful desire for wanting something that it's not been given to them. Lord, we pray for those who do not know you, that you would, in your kindness and in your mercy, open their eyes, that they might come to faith in you, that you would regenerate their hearts by your spirit and give them eternal life. Lord, now I pray as well that you would watch over 
this church while I'm gone, that you would protect my church. You would bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen.